Well, it's already been said, but I'm going to say it again. Good morning, Gateway. Wow, some of you even might know know my name. That's great. Um, My name is Terry. Yes, Terry the Younger, as opposed to Terry the Elder over here. Um, Although I am an elder uh, on the board here, and um, I just want to echo what what Nick said and and say thank you for your continued faithfulness. Um, Can I be vulnerable for a moment? With you? Is that okay? Um, I'm a little bit messed up this morning um, because I've, I've been preparing. I, I get to speak this week and next week. Um, and as I've been preparing, God has brought me very clearly and for obvious reasons to the story of Joshua leading the Israelites out of the desert, across the Jordan, into the promised land. It's, it's incredibly appropriate with where we are today, right? We're, we're about to start a new season with a new pastor. And I've been reading this set of chapters in Joshua. I've been going back into Deuteronomy and other places. And uh, I'm going to be really honest. Some of my research, some of the study that I've done, brings me to things like this. Archaeologists have studied the area around Jericho near the Jordan River where the Israelites are said to have crossed over. And archaeology shows that the city of Jericho is obviously a real thing. It's actually one of the longest inhabited cities in history. It goes back thousands of years, well before the story as it picks up in the book of Joshua. And we actually see that the city has been built up years over years. Old city, new city built on top. It gets ruined or destroyed or something happens in a new city and a new city. And it gets built up. And and the Bible actually says that, that Jericho is on a hill or a mound. And that's because the city had been built up year over year. But then you read things like evidence that shows earthquakes in the area. And... It's really easy for someone who, who doesn't come from a perspective of faith or from a godly worldview to say, this was just something that happened naturally and the people of Israel made up a story that aligns with something they saw in their history. And everything in me, everything I've learned from a young age has taught me that the Israelites crossed over the Jordan on dry ground. Just like they had come out of Egypt across the Red Sea on dry ground. I sang the song as they went over. What do they do? What's the first city that they encounter? We're going to talk about it today. They encounter Jericho. And what happens? And the walls come a-tumbling down, right? Well, that was just an earthquake. Or was it? And I've, I've had to ask this question as I've been studying. I've had to force myself to address it in my own heart. Do I believe that the Bible is describing an actual act of God? Because the, the more I read it, the crazier this story sounds. 
it doesn't make sense to human logic. It just doesn't. And so I've struggled with that. And, and of course, God being God, he, uh, he messes with you when you're in those times, right? Of course, he had to mess with me last night right before I'm about to, to speak this morning. So my daughter, who's 10, I don't know if she's with us here, Kira, yeah, she's over there. She's been asking for several days to get a movie. And so last night, we went to Redbox over at the Holiday right over here, and we picked up the movie Breakthrough. How many of you have seen the movie Breakthrough? Okay, for those of you that haven't, here's the Cliff Note version. I knew what was going to happen, and I was still crying most of the way through, so don't worry. This is a bit of a spoiler if you haven't seen it, but you need to understand this. Because it speaks to what God is doing with me and, and, and what it means to the message that I believe he has for us today. Short version is this. Three boys in Missouri, based on a true story, by the way, are out in the winter. And ice in Missouri in January is not as thick as ice in Minnesota. And they're out on the ice and they fall through. One boy gets pushed up. The other is still in the water. The third, as he's helping, gets kicked and knocked out and sinks in the water. And the rescue teams come, and there's two men in this hole in the ice in 25-foot water with 10-foot poles trying to find this boy that's under the water. And one of the, one of the EMTs, the, the, the firemen that's there, Here's a voice saying, go back. And so he turns and he goes back and he hooks this boy's body and pulls him up and they rush him to the hospital. And for a, what was a period of 15 to 20 minutes under the water, he wasn't breathing. And for another total 45 minutes, they don't think he probably had much oxygen. And, and the hospital workers are giving him CPR and they're giving him epinephrine and they're, they're shocking him and they're doing everything they can to bring this boy back to life. And his mother arrives. She comes into the room. And, and basically the doctors have said, say your goodbyes. There's nothing more we can do. We've tried everything. And this boy's mother, she prays. She cries out to God. She prays with everything in her. She prays. Dear Lord, send your Holy Spirit, bring my son back to life. And the EKG fires up. And he has a pulse. Not because anyone else is doing anything, not because they're doing CPR, but because he started again. And over the, the course of several days, they have him in an induced coma. They're trying to do what they think they can just to prevent what, what should be very serious brain damage. And he starts reacting to the medicine and, and finally this mom says, well, if, if the medicine's not helping him, let's just take him off the medicine. And so they do that and they, they wake him up. 
The coma isn't helping him, so they wake him up. And this boy, this young teenage boy, wakes up. And a day after his lungs had been filled with his own blood, there's no sign of bacteria. He's breathing, he's awake, he's alert, he's responding, and he was perfectly healed. Based on a true story. So for the past weeks I've been saying, God, is this stuff really, is it really true? And then he, he shows me this 12 hours before I'm going to speak, see what I can do. So don't fault me if I'm a little messed up today because this message, as much as we get to today, is about more than understanding a Bible story. It's about hearing from God his voice that shouts from these pages, I am here, I am with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you mess with us. I thank you that you remind us at exactly the right time who you are and what you're about. And I thank you that in the midst of that, you also tell us what you have for us and what you desire for us. Lord, I ask that your spirit would move in this place, that your voice would be strong, that as we look at your story, you would be glorified and we would be drawn to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the book of Joshua, after the death of Moses, Joshua is elevated and it says in, in Joshua 1.1, Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. And it says in verse 10, and I believe this is in your bulletin, So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, Go through the camp and tell the people. Now listen to this. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land your God is giving you for your own. So the word was spread. Go to all the camp. Tell the people. Get your provisions ready. Three days from now you'll cross and you'll take possession of the land the Lord is giving you. Prepare. As we get ready to enter this new season, Pastor Jeff's on his way. He's going to be here soon. But it's not all about Pastor Jeff. Because without us, it doesn't matter if we're not ready to move forward. So we need to prepare. Verse 10 tells us to get our provisions ready. 
And it's interesting because a little later on, it, it's, it says a couple of other things around preparation, but what does it mean to get your provisions ready? Are you ready to move? If Our family just got back from a vacation. We were gone for, for a couple of weeks, and, and in advance of that, we had to do some things. We had to pack our suitcases. We took our bikes with us, so we had to get our bikes ready. We had to prepare our provisions. We had a cooler of food in the car. We had stuff ready to go. Are you ready to go? If God asks something of you tomorrow... Are you ready to go? We're going to come back to this. I'm just going to highlight it a little bit. We have to be ready to follow God's lead. And we have to be willing to consecrate ourselves. But we must prepare. Now, by way of context, I want to set the stage here a little bit. So, if, if we remember, the Israelites have been wandering in the desert for 40 years. 40 years before, they had come out of Egypt, miraculously crossing the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army had been drowned in the Red Sea, and they moved into the desert. Amazing things have happened over this 40 years, but the Israelites weren't always faithful. And so the generation that came out of Egypt is not going into the promised land. Even Moses himself is told by God, you're not going in. And that's why Joshua is stepping up. If we remember, Joshua and Caleb were two of the spies that had originally gone and given a good report about going in. And I think it's interesting that now as they prepare to enter the promised land, Joshua again sends some spies. He doesn't send 12 like Moses did though. How many does he send? He sends two. Two got it right the first time. Let's send two this time. So he sends two spies over, and they go in, and they look. And what do they do? They go into Jericho, and they find themselves in the home of a harlot, a prostitute, Rahab. And I think it's interesting because as we are preparing, as the Israelites are preparing to enter into this new promise, God is also preparing Listen to these words from the second chapter of Joshua. They've entered the house of Rahab. And it says in verse 8, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. This is, this is a prostitute in an enemy city speaking to the spies that Joshua sent over. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us, a fear of you, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab, 
who, by the way, is actually quoted in the genealogy of Jesus in the book of Matthew. A prostitute of the enemy is declaring the truth of who God is. And those two spies return and tell Joshua. And he calls the people to prepare. Now, what I want to highlight here is not necessarily spending a lot of time on, on the details of what happens as they cross in. I, I want to paint kind of a bigger picture here because I think there's a repeating pattern that we can see. They find themselves on the edge of the Jordan. They're preparing to cross over. They have in front of them an obstacle. And they have on the other side of the river opposition. And I think these are two different things. And I, I, I want to I try to make this definition clear for you. The obstacle is something physical. It's the river. They have to get across the physical river in order to enter the promised land. The opposition is the people on the other side that want to come against them. Do you understand the distinction there? The physical obstacle and the opposition of the people. So they have these two things that they're, they're going to need to overcome to get in. And, and what happens? Early in the morning, chapter 3, Joshua and all the Israelites set out. And they went to the Jordan. After three days, the spies have gone and come back. The officers go throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. For 40 years, they've wandered in the desert. They have followed the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud. The Ark of the Covenant has gone before them. And now, Joshua is telling them, the Ark is going to go forward. And then you'll know which way to go. This obstacle is before them. The river at flood stage is before them. It's not a nearly dry creek bed. It's running. And Joshua tells them, the ark will go before you, and then you'll know where to go. You haven't been this way before, that's what he says. You haven't been this way before, but you follow the ark. How does that apply to us today? What does that mean for us? The ark of the covenant was what? It was used to house... The law of Moses, the covenant law of Moses. And if we think about what that ark represents, the ark was the mercy seat of God. It was the place from which atonement came. And at that time, atonement was in the law. That was their attempt at atonement, was through the law. Today, we have a different source of mercy that source of mercy is Jesus, and we sang about it all morning. Every song pointed directly at him this morning. Thank you, Tracy. Every song. It's at his name that darkness trembles. It's at his name that fear is gone. We sang, we know the great God. Think about those words. Think what that means. We know the great God. 
We serve the great God. We owe everything to him. The pattern that's established here that the Israelites will follow the ark is a perfect representation for us. We must follow Jesus. We must go where he goes because we don't always know where we're going. We may not have been this way before. It's been a long time for Gateway Church since we've had a new lead pastor. We haven't been this way before in a generation. But we know the truth of the message, and that is we can follow Jesus. So what happens? The ark is carried by the priests to the edge of this flooding river. And I love it because they're at the front and, and they have to do something. They got to step in. And so they take that step, that step of faith. They step in and immediately the waters, it says, are heaped up a long way away. Now again, this is where archaeologists jump in and they say there's evidence of landslides, of rock slides that would have created a natural rock dam farther upriver from Jericho. Isn't that wonderful? They've made a story out of that. How about, isn't it wonderful, God caused an earthquake at the exact moment they stepped in the river that stopped the water miles upstream. If I were texting, I might write OMG. And the ark carried by the priest went to the middle of the river. And there's, there's something significant about there. It went to the middle of the obstacle. And then the people crossed by. Every tribe, all 12, crossed over on dry land. God, in his power, had taken care of the obstacle. But he waited until they stepped forward. And so they cross over. There's seven nations of people that are waiting for them. All the ites. They're waiting. Now we know, having read chapter 2, that they're already in fear because they heard about the Red Sea. Think how they are now. God just did it again. At the River Jordan. So the obstacle is taken care of. The opposition is still there. You'll notice that God doesn't remove the opposition. It's an interesting thing to think about. So what happens? They go to Jericho. I'm, I'm fast forwarding here a couple of weeks. And for those of you that are reading, you might be thankful that I'm skipping chapter 5. Some rough stuff happens in chapter 5. Side note, all the men get circumcised because they hadn't been in Egypt. Whole new generation. And they wait to heal and now they find themselves here at Jericho. And what are they happy for them? Again, the pattern continues. They have a walled city. Now Jericho, one of the reasons it was so prosperous for so long 
was because it had springs that actually came up and fed. So they had great water supply. It was a city that you could stay inside of as long as you had provisions. The walls were 8 to 12 feet thick, some people think, and 18 to as high as 30 feet. At that time, that's a big wall surrounding the city. They have an obstacle. And inside, it says that the people and all of the army of Jericho, the king and his armed men, are inside the city. They have opposition. And so what do we see? We see again the pattern. God tells them, sounds a little crazy, take the ark. Go with the ark leading the way and march around the city. Don't start a fight, just march. Blow your horn. Now on the second day, do that again. Walk around the city. And many of you know the story. This goes on for seven days. Think of the people inside of Jericho. These crazy people came into the desert 40 years ago by a miraculous act of God. They just crossed the Jordan by a miraculous act of God. And now they're walking around town? They're not even, they're not even trying to come in. And I imagine as they circled, as the armies went round and round doing nothing but blowing a horn and, and maybe making a little noise, that, that maybe the people of Jericho watched from atop the wall and said, you guys are nuts, what are you doing? The opposition was still there. And on the seventh day, they circled seven times. And on the seventh time, everyone blew the horn and everyone gave a shout and the walls came tumbling down. And that's the end of the song, right? Except that's not the end of the verse. Because what happens then is an interesting thing. It says that the walls fell flat to the ground and then the army went up and took the city. They didn't just rejoice that the walls had fallen. They went up and they took the city. God had removed the obstacle, but they were still required to face the opposition. Archaeologists, again, can say wonderful evidence all over the place of the walls of Jericho falling down because of earthquakes. Isn't that a nice thing to make a story up about? Again, I say, isn't it amazing that on the seventh day, on the seventh circuit, at exactly the right time as a shout went up, the earthquake hit and the walls fell. What do we do with it, though? 
These are maybe some, some difficult questions, but I want to remind you again, and I'm going to use that little tweet, OMG. What if instead of, oh my God, OMG stood for obstacle? Meet God. You know, there's an old phrase that goes something like this. Instead of telling our God how big our problems are, maybe we tell our problems how big our God is. But I hope that this pattern highlights something for you. Obstacles, those physical things that get in the way. God will work in those things. I think to the New Testament, some of you might be going, what is it? Well, New Testament's a little different. What's going on? Well, Paul and Silas found themselves in a prison. And they were singing and they were praying. What happened? Prison doors came open. The physical was taken care of. But the opposition didn't go away. They still had to do their part. And they did it with Jesus at the center. We've got to follow. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that there, you know, there's a, a four-part checklist, you know, do this, do this, do this. I just want you to highlight something. Our God is able to move mountains. And he will prepare the way for us as it relates to our opposition. But there is something we need to do. He still expects us to act. He still expects us to take the city. So when Pastor Jeff arrives and August is in full swing, are we prepared? Have we made our provisions ready? Have we consecrated ourselves like the Israelites did the night before they went over? When Joshua said, consecrate yourselves this night, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things for you. Do we have an honest expectation that God is going to do amazing things here? Or are we going to just report an earthquake? Are we going to step in the river? Are we going to march around the wall? Are we going to shout even though it sounds crazy? I'm going to ask the team to come back up and we're going to take our offering here in a moment, but but before we do that, I, I have some questions for you, and, and I want you to think about these. Because I, I don't believe this is just a Bible story that was made up by some people to account for some of the natural things they saw. We sang that, that God is alive. And we profess that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Are those memory verses or do they mean something? So as we're taking our offering, 
I want you to think about this. I want, to think, I want you to think about the obstacle that is in front of you individually, maybe you as a family. And we'll think about the obstacles that come before us as a church. We'll think about those things too. But each and every one of us probably is facing an obstacle. And most of us probably have some opposition. There are things that we need to take care of. And there are some people, some situations that we need to address. I don't know what that is for you. I have a pretty good idea what those are for me. I want you to think about those. Because after we take our offering, we're going to have a time of prayer. I know we have at least one person here who asked earlier this week for prayer and the elders are going to come and we're going to pray. And we're not going to pray that, that we're not going to pray that God just touch this person that they feel better. At least I'm going to pray that the miraculous hand of God, the same God that caused the earth to shake and the walls to fall and the dam to to block up the water, the same God that split the Red Sea that allowed the Israelites to cross over, the same God with the same power that I read about, I want him to act. And I'm going to do my part. And we're going to address that obstacle. Others of you here may have other obstacles and you need someone to stand next to you. Twelve tribes crossed over. And we're going to talk more about it next week. But two and a half tribes already had their land, their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. But Joshua tells them, you are going to go over with us. And 80,000 fighting men, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they crossed over together. To take the land. Sometimes you need to stand with your brothers and sisters in Christ and agree together in the presence of God and come expecting the hand of God to shake your world. So let's prepare.